Today's Bible reading will come from Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of, of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against stone. Jesus told him, It is also written, Do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He said, and he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and began to serve him. Thanks for that, Selmay. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your word that uh, every week, uh, every day, we can come to your scriptures to learn more about uh, your so, so great salvation for us. And that through the scriptures, we can come to know you as our God. Father, as we consider our verses today uh, and the tremendous humility that you showed and humiliation allowing yourself to be tempted by the devil, a creature that you created. Father, we just stand in awe of what you were willing to do to come to this earth as a man and to go to the nth degree to, to save us, Lord. Father, help us uh, to have eyes to see today as we open up your scriptures to experience you through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as... Uh, we look out into our world today, uh, it's probably quite an understatement to say there are tensions out there in our world. Uh, today uh, marks, I think it's over 500 days of the war in Ukraine that has been going on and on. A conflict that we know as we read our headlines has impacted many nations other than just Ukraine and Russia as many different nations are impacted and participate in different ways. Uh, but if that is not enough, there are many other global hotspots out there that might come to the forefront of your own mind. Uh, I thought of China and Taiwan with Xi Jinping saying reunification is uh, a matter of when, not if. Uh, CFR.org is a, it's just a website, it's a global tracking, a conflict tractor, tracking website. Uh, it states on their website at least, uh, something like 26 different uh, conflicts or civil wars or countries that as we speak are uh, facing hardship or political instability of some kind. Uh, 
Uh, and, you know, as we think about these tensions in the world, uh, you know, I, I even think of our own neighbourhoods. Uh, you know, it's easy to think that the problems are out there when, uh, you know, we live in comfortable Australian life. Uh, but there are many unseen acts of violence that happen in our own local neighbourhoods that we might not even be aware of. Human-to-human uh, -human conflict, though, is not a new problem for humanity. Uh, it, those who believe our Bibles, we know that it's been a problem ever since the beginning. When Adam and Eve, our first humans that lived this, uh, walked this earth, fought, fell into sin. And even for those reading Matthew's Gospel, you'll know that Matthew himself makes it very evident that human conflict is alive and well in his day. If you were reading uh, Matthew's Gospel up until this point, you might have read back in chapter 2 of King Herod and his terrible acts of violence. For those who don't know Herod, Herod was a, a person who uh, ruled at that time over the Judea area uh, in Israel. And he, uh, one of the things he did was ruthlessly murder, as recorded in Matthew chapter 2, uh, all the male children in Bethlehem, hoping to kill the child Jesus in the process, all because Herod perceived him to be a threat to his own throne. Now, as we consider all this uh, conflict that does very much exist in our world today, uh, there is a, another type of conflict that exists in our world and that Matthew wants you and I to be aware of today as we, in his chapter here in Matthew 4. It's a conflict that has been going on longer than any other human conflict. It is a war that has caused more damage and indeed has taken more casualties than any other war in human history. In our passage today, Matthew peels back the layers to reveal the true reality of this war, showing its true ugly nature, being a war not fought against flesh and blood, but being a spiritual war with a spiritual battlefront against spiritual forces of evil in high places. A war that John Bunyan described as a holy war. That is, God's war against the devil and his kingdom of darkness. In our passage, we read of Jesus Christ, God's Son, coming against the full force and the wiles and temptations of the devil, where we see the person of Jesus Christ encountering, resisting, and overcoming the powers of darkness. Now, as we explore these verses, with, uh, as I explore them with you today, there are really two key things that I'd like to explore with you from our passage here. And the first is this, is to simply gain a greater understanding of the temptations of the devil. If we are to overcome the works of the devil in our own life, in our own lives, we had better gain a better, come to a fuller understanding of his strategies and devices. Secondly, I will want to focus on some remedies, two remedies that uh, comes to us through these words here in Matthew 4. So first the temptations, then the remedies. So as we focus on the temptations of the devil here, uh, we see in our text that there are three times that Matthew records uh, Jesus being tempted by the devil. And we can learn something from each of them. 
Now, having been baptized by, by John the Baptist just prior in chapter 3, and being anointed by uh, and commissioned by the Holy Spirit for his earthly ministry, it now says that the Holy Spirit leads Jesus out to the wilderness, where, where there he was to face these temptations echoing the trials in the process and the tests that Israel themselves faced in their wilderness experience for 40 years, as recorded in the Old Testament. Jesus, too, undergoes his own trials of faith for 40 days and 40 nights. And so the first temptation of the devil here is one of tempting Jesus to use his powers for self-gratification to prioritize the temporal and the material over the spiritual. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, what Matthew says must be one of the biggest understatements in Scripture. He was hungry. Hungry. You reckon, Matthew? Starving more like it. Utterly famished. Uh, One source I read suggested that um, starving people become weak between 30 and 50 days. We've just watched a video about this. And they tend to die between anywhere between 43 to 70 days. And so Jesus probably was not that far off from complete exhaustion here. And so notice with me that the devil's first temptation comes at an opportune time. Kicking man when he's down, as the saying goes. Exploiting Jesus' body weakness, bodily weakness for all it was worth. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. If you are the Son of God, you can hear the mockery and disdain in the devil's voice. By, then, but Jesus replies, quoting with Scripture, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Notice that the devil wasn't tempting Jesus with something bad. I mean, we all need food. But he was tempting him to gain food by unwarranted means, by using his supernatural powers to gain it uh, in a way that would detract from his calling to walk the road of suffering, as well as to have the wrong heart motive towards his Father in heaven when he was found without Now, the last time I checked, you and I didn't have the power to turn stones into bread. But the basic principle of this temptation is transferable to us. Uh, On the one hand, our Western world is so geared towards the material things rather than spiritual things. Oh, how great the temptation is for us to solely focus on building a kingdom for us in the here and now. On selfish and inter instant gratification of earthly desires now i don't know about you but i find practical examples helpful Uh, maybe for you it might mean turning off your netflix sooner to spend a bit more time in word and prayer maybe it's giving up some time in your week to serve others if none of your week is spent giving of yourselves to others or maybe it's fighting the temptation to view pornography an act itself that takes something that is good and holy, like sex, and twists it for selfish gratification. In a me, me, me culture that we live in, 
uh, the pull for selfish instant gratification is literally endless. But on the other hand, how easy is it for you and I to grumble against God when we do feel that we lack something? Even if that thing is not bad in itself, like a hobby or a good food or a good God-given job or a nice home to live in. How easy is it for you and I, like Israel in the desert, to grumble against God in our hearts when we don't get the simplest things like our morning coffee? In the second temptation of the devil, uh, he is incredibly cunning here. Now the devil quotes scripture himself. But he does so in a way that twists and distorts the truth, drawing from it an incorrect application. He puts to Jesus that puts to Jesus that he need not fear jumping off the top of the temple in Jerusalem. Because God would come to his rescue and send his angels to save him. I mean, this suggestion gives the appearance of living by faith. The appearance of taking a step to trust God. But in actual fact, to do so would put God to the test. It would amount to attempting to control and manipulate God into some course of action. Rather than beginning from a place of trust and faith. It demands a miracle, miraculous sign from God as proof that God cares. And for Jesus, it meant finding glory outside the suffering of the cross. I wonder if you've ever said in your heart before, God, if you'll just do that for me, then I will follow you. Then I'll trust you. But equally, the temptation to twist Scripture to suit our own purposes also continues today the bible addresses many challenging topics that we might be tempted to try and explain away whether it's the bible's teaching on sexual ethics and standards the reality of hell and god's judgment against sinners or even jesus's exclusive claim to to, to truth that he has the truth and that he is the only way to god when we find something hard to accept in Scripture, how do you tend to respond? Is your response, your knee-jerk reaction to, to reject it? Or is it to fall on your knees and humbly ask God to help you understand and see things through his eyes? In the third temptation, the devil leads Jesus now up to a high mountain where he tempts him to worship him. And in exchange, he will give him the kingdoms of the world and their glory, apparently. Now the gloves are well and truly off. Having first tempted Jesus in more subtle ways, this third temptation is bold and blatant devilry. Oh, how great the danger is for the prideful human heart. The temptation to sin when we feel like we're on top of the world. When we feel strong and like we have it all together. Proverbs 16 verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before, the fall, before a fall. Now if we 
view Satan's schemes together. Uh, They are quite extensive. Perhaps we could see how John kind of summarizes temptation in or sin in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. Or as Joel Beakey suggests, uh, in terms of these three temptations, he suggests naming it this way, saying that Satan tempts Jesus to independence, indulgence and idolatry. Christian, the church faces a formidable foe in the devil. He can outsmart you. He knows more than you. He lives. He has lived longer than you. His weapons are more are as sophisticated and relentless as they are cunning and evil, working in both subtle and overt ways, prying on the proud and weak in faith, and exploiting our sinful passions and desires. In the 5th century BC, uh, there's a Chinese classic uh, book called The Art of War. Uh, The author Sun Tzu offers the following advice. This is advice that uh, for militaries around the world uh, in formulating and understanding military strategy. And he gives this advice here in that book. It says, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. Now, if my sermon had just ended here, we would be left defeated according to this owner's advice, his advice here. For to know your enemy is to know the devil is greater than us. And to truly know yourself is to know yourself susceptible to the temptations of the, to sin. And so with these things in mind, I want to next explore, very importantly, the remedies that God's word gives you and I this morning how then are we to face so great a foe and overcome his work in our lives well there are two remedies that comes from Matthew 4 here and the first remedy that Jesus gives to his people is himself at each temptation Jesus resists and does not give in Unlike Adam and Eve in the garden, unlike Israel in the wilderness, unlike all of humanity, Jesus came as the better Adam, the better Israel. Not only was he born without sin, without original sin, he also went on to live that perfect life free from sin, something he could only achieve as the Son of God in human flesh. As a human the temptations that Jesus faced here were real temptations. (coughs) Excuse me. In Hebrews 4 verse, (coughs) verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet as the person of Christ, both human and divine, Jesus could not be conquered or overcome by sin. All this means that the devil's temptations achieve the exact opposite. They better prepared Jesus for his earthly ministry. 
like a heavy-handed drill sergeant that schools his pupils. The trials that Jesus underwent only further proved his mettle and the unrelenting love and devotion that Jesus had towards his Father in heaven. Love and devotion that came to a climax on the cross. Indeed, Jesus would show himself glorious and the king from on high. But that glory did not come through taking the easy way out. That was glory achieved through suffering, even death on a cross. This is good news for the Christian, because having ascended back to heaven after his resurrection, Jesus has poured forth his Holy Spirit upon his people to help us conquer the power of sin and the devil in our lives. That is why it's so urgent and so precious to be a Christian. Why it is so deadly also to not be a Christian. For without Christ in you, the devil has full reign. If you are here today and yet to commit your life to Jesus, spiritually speaking, you're kind of like a dead corpse roaming the streets. Now, it seems like a pretty crazy thing to say, but listen to Ephesians 2 and the words how they describe uh, those who are uh, without Jesus. It says, And you were dead in the, trespass, in the trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. I mean, never mind the talk of the next zombie apocalypse. Spiritually speaking, it's kind of already here. Those without Jesus don't have God's, uh, the, God's new life that he gives us through Jesus and are under the power of the devil. And so I ask you, do you know this freedom from the power of sin in your life? Have you committed your life to Christ? According to the gospel, the way of salvation and renewed spiritual life is really simple. Scripture says, In Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Freedom from the clutches of the devil by simply turning to Jesus in faith, acknowledging your sinfulness in your heart and your need for Jesus to rescue you from it. But for every Christian... This spiritual fight continues. Maybe some of you here today are burdened by this fight and find it so difficult to stay on track. Sometimes the fight seems to overwhelm us still and we feel like giving up. Maybe you are here and you kind of have given up, thinking that it's pointless to keep trying to resist temptation. For the struggling Christian know that there really is hope for you. When you're, when you're down in the trenches and a spiritual battle is raging around us and in us, when the war against the power of darkness seems to have no end in sight, know that Christ has already won the victory. Uh, perhaps it can be likened to the events in World War II. In World War II, the beginning of the end for Germany began on D-Day, on the 6th of June, 1944. 
But it wasn't until almost a year later on V-Day or Victory Day on the 8th of May 1945 that Germany had finally offered their unconditional surrender. For the Christian at the cross of Christ, that was D-Day. D-Day has already happened. But as Christians, we now await V-Day when Christ returns. While we wait and continue this battle, the Christian ought to take note of the second remedy that Jesus gives us. Not only does Jesus give us himself and the power of, uh, the power of a renewed life in him, but he also gives us his powerful word. In our text, Jesus models for us what it looks like uh, to use the Holy Scriptures to fight this holy battle. Like wielding a powerful weapon that neutralizes the enemy's attacks. In Ephesians 6, Paul calls it the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. After each of these three temptations, Jesus responds with Scripture against Satan. In this way, defeating the onslaughts of his temptations. For us to use this remedy effective, one must become familiar with it. Like a well-used tool in a tool shed. Or that precious cooking utensil that you become so accustomed to using and so skilled at using in the kitchen. And so I ask you this morning, do you love and know your scriptures? Or is your Bible more like a Christmas tree that collects dust throughout the year and it comes out on special occasions? Growing in the knowledge of the scriptures is not really a nice to have for the Christian life. It's an essential part of a recipe for a healthy, wholesome life lived for God. The Bible is a precious gift in the hands of believers, reminding us of the precious promises of God. Reminding us of the deceitfulness of our sin and helps us fend off the devil. The lazy Christian is a sitting duck just waiting to be shot at. And so Christian, I urge you this morning, use these remedies. The state of your soul and the souls around you count on it. Keep up the good fight. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Look to Christ who has won the victory. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, uh, it's been uh, such a wonderful thing to reflect on these verses here, how you go before us as the perfect man, achieving what we could not. That, Father, you did come to this world as God in flesh, took our human flesh upon yourself and showed great humility to live a life amongst us and indeed choose the road of suffering and the way of the cross. Father, you did that out of love for your people. That, Father, you did not leave us in our sin and in the foolishness of our ways. But Father, you made a way for us to know you again. A way for us to experience your salvation and communion with you. Father, we confess that there are times that we still give in to sin. 
that, Father, there are times where the battle feels so uh, difficult and that the powers of darkness in the world, this world seem so great. Father, we confess that there are times that we feel hopeless, as even as Christians who read about these promises in Scripture and that, that you will uh, fully deal with the kingdom of darkness. Father, help us uh, in our unbelief to turn to you in belief and to have a quiet trust in you every day of our life. And Father, we thank you that uh, you will one day return and make all things right and that you will usher in a new heaven and a new earth, a kingdom and a place that is full of your righteousness. Father, in the meantime, I pray, Lord, that you would help us look to Jesus, our great Saviour. And Father, that you'd help us dig deep into your word, that we would be a people uh, who love your scriptures and that can handle them well in the life that you've called us to live. We pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.